0: SIMS IVF have a leading team of fertility experts. With locations all throughout Ireland, SIMS IVF are here for you every step of the way. They have tailored treatments to suit your needs, so whether you are looking to freeze your eggs, go it alone, or need advanced treatment such as pre-genetic testing, they have the plan for you. Their mission is to provide hope to all those that need help starting families. Hi, I'm Miriam Burke. And I'm Eving McBride and welcome to a little birdie told me a podcast brought to you by rollercoaster.ie every week we'll
1: be bringing you insights advice and our own personal experiences along with some great guests to help
0: you our listeners navigate the ups and downs of pregnancy and parenting just to warn you in advance this episode brought to you by sims deals with fertility issues and pregnancy loss In this episode, we're joined by Rosanna Davison, who candidly shares her journey to motherhood and how multiple pregnancy losses resulted in her choosing international surrogacy in Ukraine.
1: I suppose take us back a little bit. So obviously your surrogacy journey started with you deciding that you wanted to have a family for yourself. Was it something that you and Wes had spoken about before you even got married? Or was it kind of after you got married, you decided like maybe we do want to start trying to have a family?
2: we had both grown up um, with siblings I have two younger brothers and he has two older sisters and a younger brother so we had spoken about I mean we were together for I think it was seven years before we got married we got married eight years ago so we had spoken about having a family and it was just one of those things we both assumed we would have a family and um, when we got married we were 30 so we had planned to maybe I don't know Take a year to enjoy married life and then get going. And we just thought, what can possibly go wrong? We're young, we're fit and we're healthy. Um, You know, I knew that. I suppose I hadn't felt overly maternal or overly broody in my 20s. I think... Maybe lots of us are very focused on our careers or travel or study, but I knew once I settled down in my 30s that I, I, I did want a family and mm-hmm. I'd grown up um, with such a lovely family and environment and I, I just wanted that for, for my future. And so we decided it was around, I'm trying to remember the dates now, it all seems so long ago. Um it was around late 2015, I think, we decided that we'd start trying and it happened very quickly and it was all very exciting. You know, I, I took the test. I remember actually we'd been out for a walk. This would have been early in the new year, 2016. We were out for a walk with friends and I started to think, God, I feel very lightheaded. I must be very unfit, you know, after the Christmas holidays and maybe yeah. the indulgences. And this went on for a couple of days, and then you realise maybe your period's late, and um, so I took a test, and I was about four and a half weeks, and um, it was it was so fresh and innocent and new, and to me back then miscarriage wasn't on my radar. I mean it just wasn't spoken about. I knew of friends who'd had miscarriages, but you know we're told it was a genetic anomaly within the embryo, and each of them went on to have healthy full term yeah. pregnancies and I suppose at that stage we were in our early 30s my friend's group was beginning to have their first or second children so to me people just got pregnant and had a baby and that was yeah. that
1: and it was it was wonderful um, I and we my don't mom... really talk about miscarriage like if you if most people who miscarry do it within 12 weeks yes. so like and that's the time you're not supposed to tell you're pregnant so it is yeah. kind of like nearly a secret under the radar thing Oh, well, yeah. but then
0: when you have kids and you end up talking about you know everything you discover so many people so Oh, have much gone more. through it
1: yeah and this
2: is 2016 and things have changed I mean there's been such a positive development in the conversation about fertility yeah. and miscarriage since yeah. then um but I remember um you know the excitement of it Wes came home from work and I I Put the pregnancy test into a sort of long box, and Aww. I said, "Oh, I have a present for you." And he came in. And I have it recorded, and sometimes I cringe a bit. I look back and, at the odd time, and just cringe at the innocence of it all. And I just thought, "Well, this is it. We're going to be parents in the autumn, so we have to start adapting our mindsets for this." And he burst into tears, <laughs> and then I rang my mom, and my mom was my mom has had her own sort of fertility difficulties, and they were different to mine. She um, had an ectopic and. And back then you know your tube would have to be removed Um, you know she was lucky anyway to conceive me after her difficulties but i just felt well that was kind of 30 years ago it can't possibly apply to modern um medical science um so you know i rang her and she was a little bit more cautious and just said rosie you know you're you're very early so don't get too excited but that's wonderful news that you can get pregnant um first and foremost Um, But I couldn't hold it in. I told my family once I was five weeks and of course my brothers were very excited. But then by about six weeks um, I started bleeding. My GP assured me it was kind of normal and just to keep an eye. And yeah, by six and a half weeks, unfortunately, I had my first miscarriage and it was, I mean, it was a shock. It was traumatic as it is for, for any woman to experience. And, you know, the primal feeling, I think, of being pregnant and feeling that there's a life inside you. And even at that early stage, you know, you're making plans. There wasn't a heartbeat or anything Mm. much to see in a scan, But, yeah, you're making plans at that stage when you're
0: so excited. It's your first you, as you said, like the miscarriage conversation just hasn't started because Mm. it is your first. And, yeah, you, you do start. It's inevitable. You can't. Not think about the future and you're you know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lists, no matter, matter how early stage. it is,
1: yeah. And it kind of mm. is really like a magical thing where you're like you are. You're like you're hoping that it'll all happen, and you're you know wishing for this thing. And then it does happen, it's kind of really magical. You're like I can't believe I am able to do this. So you feel yeah. like yeah, you know, my body is yeah. is doing
2: this right now. Yeah. And I'd say to Wes, "Hi, father of poppy seed," and I show him the app, and yeah, yeah. it would be a poppy seed this yeah. week and you know it's this wonderful secret you you have and yeah. you're walking around with and you're thinking of ways to not accept drinks you know yeah, out yeah. somewhere <laughs> and you're on antibiotics anyway yeah and yeah. um, all that kind of thing i didn't get that far but um you know i was assured by my doctor that um if we just left it a month and started trying again that everything would probably be fine it was just one of these genetic anomalies and um, so left it a month tried again and the same thing happened again at this sort of six six and a half week mark and i was less i think i was less traumatized the second time around because mm. you know we'd survived the first time and being able to get pregnant was a bonus so I just thought this is really unlucky and unfortunate but we'll try again so we didn't wait another month this time we just kept going and I sort of got into the mindset that I can't waste an egg you get obsessed about time frames and you think well if we get it this month then I'll I'll be a mother by end of the year or early next year and This is something I've actually talked about on social media before that you I became obsessed with calendar years Mm -hmm. of pregnancies. So I thought if I don't, you know, establish a pregnancy by kind of March, end of March, then I won't have a baby this calendar year. And it becomes very important to you to think of these timelines. It's something Mm -hmm. you cling to Mm. when so much else is out of your control. Yeah. Um, so we didn't skip a month, tried again third time, same thing happened, and at this stage, then, I was asked to do the series of tests that y- you know you you do the kind of the standard mm. tests for fertility so know, was it was it recommended panels.
0: to you you know like had you been to your g p obviously they were Uh, you know they were up to date about everything did they suggest it to you
2: so yeah so the first person I'd been to was my GP too she just established that I was pregnant Mm -hmm. and then she recommended a consultant to Mm -hmm. see her a doctor say in in the maternity hospital and so I went back to her and she she recommended a series of um, hormone tests but then I ended up going nothing showed up anyway so I ended up going in to get more kind of specific tests um, i think it was later it was that year anyway it was later see all the tests i uh, hundreds of tests i'd say in the these few years so they've all kind of blurred into one but i know the first round i got were the hormone and then blood co- coagulation um thyroid and karyotyping so karyotyping looks at um genetic say compatibility mm-hmm. between you and your partner yeah, so um, that was something they felt was relevant. Um, nothing showed up apart from a little blood clotting um, genetic disorder called Factor V Leiden. And I actually talked about it on Instagram last year, and so many people came out and said, oh, we've got this, or, you know, this and is does on my it side any, like, of the you, family. It doesn't affect you in any way day to day. It doesn't. It just makes your blood a little bit more likely to clot. And it's it's heterozygous, so it's one side of the family. Um, and it means that my Family actually, incidentally, ended up getting tested when I was tested, and it turns out my mom is positive for it, and one of my brothers. And my mom got a blood clot mm. back in her twenties after taking the con- contraceptive pills, so oh. she felt that was yeah what caused it. She yeah. didn't know at the time yeah. the test oh, wow. wasn't available, um. So it just means I had had to inject heparin into my tummy. Anytime I found out I was pregnant and obviously I did it throughout my pregnancy with the twins. Um And then before a long haul flight as well, we have okay. to um, all
0: inject. Good um, to know. To oh God, our yeah. Blood. Yeah. But this is something that you would never have known unless, you know, you had to, you had to have well, done yeah. these tests. It was
2: a revelation for my family. And then yeah. I think one of my mum's sisters has it as well. And her side of the family is a history of blood clots. I think her aunt... Uh, died from a blood clot related um illness um so these are like the hypochondriac <laughs> things in me where I like i hear it and <laughs> i'm like
1: okay i'm gonna go get that test <laughs> and it's
2: just a simple blood test yeah. but um i suppose it's not recommended until you're facing yeah of some yeah, <laughs> yeah. issue, of
0: course
2: um but so that's the power
0: of genetics as well like when you, you know found it, it, it found, you found out that you had it and then obviously it was like light bulbs for other family members it's so yeah funny. i it's, i've just find it all crazy genetics I yeah. think it it's blows so my mind.
1: Interesting. So yeah. interesting, yeah. It really is. But um, like Rosanna, you're like you know you're extremely fit and healthy, and, mm. and I suppose for somebody who does is very mindful of what they're putting into their body yeah. all the time. Like, how hard was it for you to kind of even, you know, come to terms with the fact that you're like you're doing everything right mm. on paper. But there's something happening and it's and they can't even find out what it is yeah
2: and that was something i really struggled with certainly at the beginning this cycle of self-blame and guilt Mm. where you're you're thinking you know i was uh, in this mindset that my body was dysfunctional my reproductive system was broken everything i was doing was probably wrong should i've had that cup of coffee should i've gone for a walk you know i was blaming myself each time i lost a pregnancy and this continued, The cycle continued. Um, almost every month I would, or every cycle I would, um, we would conceive and then I'd lose it at this sort of six, six and a half week mark. And that continued 14 times. Before. Which like, I I can't we, even imagine. <coughs> when it, but you know what, the, the comfort that it gave, well, the sort of comfort I took from it was that we weren't getting to the stage of a scan, a heartbeat. Yeah. I felt like I wasn't, you know, losing a baby mm. as, as such mm. in the same way that somebody later on would so sure. that was the
1: only kind of comfort yeah. I could take from it but I suppose yeah so getting to that stage so it was still obviously very early days every single pregnancy but I suppose when did you decide I actually can't do this anymore or I've had enough I, or just even to take a break because I feel like the consecutive mm. I suppose I think probably from a twofold at least you felt like you were still going through the process like things are moving things are happening Mm. and i feel like that's obviously a massive comfort when Mm. you're going through it but then at what point did you say i just need to take a break from this because mentally i can't do it anymore obviously
2: the hormonal highs and lows that you're you're facing in early pregnancy
1: you know that was taking a
2: toll as well and it takes a toll on your relationship because it's nothing there's nothing romantic about trying to have a baby each month it's it's actually um by taxing. Mm-hmm. I used apps. I I I know each one. Yeah, about. yeah. It's not romantic <laughs> or fun really. Um so but what I did do was take a different approach each time we would try to conceive. So whether it be changing medication or changing the type of progesterone I was on, whether it be the injections into the, you know, the glute muscle or pessaries which aren't very pleasant and um, we did something different so that sort of kept motivating me I think okay this yeah. month I'm going to take a different test or try a different approach or try a different nutritional strategy or you know I was going through that for a while until I figured out that it may be immune system related and
0: were, um, like were you getting pregnant every time
2: more or less yeah and that was the bizarre thing and that was yeah. what one of the consultants or one of the sorry fertility experts I saw said to me he was like you know I've seen people have multiple miscarriages, but not someone who actually conceives so, you know, kind of regularly yeah, and yeah. then loses it. Yeah. So that was the strange thing. But he said that maybe my body wasn't recognising faulty eggs or sperm as opposed to okay. healthy ones. It was just implanting yeah. everything. And he referred to that as hyper fertility. But oh it didn't help. I mean yeah, it's a cold comfort super fertile yeah, isn't yeah, particularly yeah. helpful when mm-hmm. you're going through that. Um So, yeah, I suppose I I had a wobbly moment around mid-2017 when I'd had... Sorry, it's so hard to sort of um, succinctly tell the story because there's so many different strands to it and so many different um, emotions. (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's a story that keeps on giving, as I'll explain later. (laughs) Um, But mid-2017, I was advised to go in and have a, a, a hysteroscopy um, which would check for structural issues um, in my uterus. And by this stage, I'd done all the tests. Nothing was really showing up. Um, it was later on that I suppose we looked at the immune stuff. But um, I had this procedure under anesthetic and they cut out what's called a septum, which is a little bit of um, kind of fibrous tissue at the, the fundus of my uterus. And uh, afterwards, the doctor and he did a what's called a uterine scratch as well which is to, meant to sort of encourage your immune system, just to kind of boot it into mm-hmm. gear in your uterus, um, just to sort of summarize it quickly. Um, but afterwards, the, the doctor said, you know, I think I feel really positive that this is actually the root cause of your issues. I feel that your fertilized embryos have been trying to implant into this fibrous tissue, um, and it's not... You know that co- conducive to um kind of pregnancy because there's not as much blood flow and nutrition in that part whereas um if you know they implanted into um the you know spongy or the correct part of your uterus and um, where the the blood lining is nice and thick um then it would you know be more conducive to pregnancy so um i felt very positive after that 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 was the cause and and it would work now mm. and that was the reason so we waited a month tried again i remember june 2017 yeah i would have had the procedure in around the april so june 2017 got pregnant again and i was really excited and i remember going to a wedding and thinking this is it um you know i was sort of fopping people off all night who were handing me drinks i'd say oh, I have to go to the loo could you hold this and pretending to do shots everything you do <laughs> um but of course i lost it at the same stage so at that point i was we were both really just sort of at the verge of kind of giving up just felt like what is the point we've tried everything we've done everything we can we've seen a range of different fertility experts by this point i even said to wes and i have i you know have said this pop- publicly before that I said to Wes maybe you're better off finding somebody else to oh, have a family with because I'm not the one who's able to to do this for you and you know we took a little break that summer and then um, I found a, a different um, doctor to, to speak to about reproductive um, uh, immune immunity or immunology and he sent me um, in to get blood tests called the Chicago Bloods which Measure your immune system. Um, it's like a panel kind of blood test. Uh, it's expensive. It was about twelve hundred euro. Mm-hmm. All of these tests are mm-hmm. <laughs> expensive, and you know that's another thing to consider really for for couples, mm. you know, going down this this road. Um, but that Im- immune system test found that found that I have um, what's called Th1, Th2 cytokines, like a pretty significant imbalance. Of them, which he felt meant that my immune system was in a sort of fight or flight mode constantly and it was re- rejecting um, my husband's um, DNA. It felt it was a foreign invader and sort of attacking and killing off his DNA. So he explained that perhaps that was the reason just my immune system was in this fight or flight mode. Um, so that made sense. So I went on then to um, take quite a high dose um, cortisone um, steroid and anyone who's Hmm. taken corticosteroids knows it's not. It's tough on your body. Pleasant. It's Um, tough. I'd have to sort of take it at seven in the morning or I wouldn't sleep that night. And at the beginning it was great because I was buzzing around getting loads (laughs) done full of beans. And then after about a month, you know, I was starting to actually see a good bit of bloating in my face. And no matter how careful you are with what you're eating and your exercise, I was starting to really see bloating around my Middle. Um, I was on another um, course of medication called humira injections, um, which are meant to, um, I suppose, down regulate your immune system response. And that was sort of giving me headaches and mouth ulcers and <laughs> all sorts of side effects. So it got to a point um, in about early 2018, I went back to one of the original doctors that I'd seen and explained everything I'd been through and who I'd talked to and that we were at the end of our options now I'd really and I'd been very much involved in doing the research I'd been doing a master's and so I had access to a lot of research and papers and I'd been very much involved in asking questions and saying well if it's not immune system is it you know something is it you know for example thyroid or is it bloods or hormones and you know I I felt that and I'd say this as advice to any couple really in this situation is that um, you know, asking questions, um, you know, trying to f- figure out what areas maybe you haven't looked at, because doctors can't possibly cover everything in, in one sort of consultation. So it's I found it very helpful to to kind of do my own areas of research. Um so this doctor said to me, you know, you're you're young, you've got age on your side, you're obviously fertile um Maybe it's time to consider a different option. I don't think you're going to be able to carry your own baby. You know, it's. He just said, look, you've you've done everything you can. You've had 14 <laughs> pregnancy losses. Yeah. How much more do you want to do? You're jeopardizing your health by continuing mm-hmm. to take this medication. Um, I felt. And
0: would something of like like um IUI or IVF have made any kind of difference since you were actually able yeah. to get pregnant?
2: He said to me, no, yeah. not to even. Waste our time trying trying this because my body would still respond in the same way, and reject it. It was something going on once, the, you know, the embryo had um, implanted or attempted to implant. So it was something that we couldn't pinpoint. And I had got I had actually gone back for a second round of these Chicago bloods called Chicago half bloods to measure your your, your immune response to the medication and it had responded but not enough the doctor felt and I could only I was only allowed to take I think two rounds of Humira injections because they are so kind of tough in your system so we just felt we'd reached the end of the road we couldn't continue emotionally physically on this sort of path we had done absolutely everything um, we were kind of just exhausted at the, you know, I, I just felt I couldn't continue with this hormonal sort of roller coaster. Well, that's the
1: thing, because early pregnancy really takes it out of your body. So if you're already yeah. taking these drugs that are really taxing your system and mm. then you're trying to go into early pregnancy as well, like to do that consecutively mm. for like over a year, it must have been if it was.
2: It was a couple of years yeah. at this stage, about two yeah. years
1: and trying to just continue as normal. You well, know. That's the other side of it. So you had to present this like happy, positive face that nothing else was going on behind closed mm. doors. Yeah. And obviously being in the public eye, like that's incredibly different. Yeah. Or difficult. And um, I'm sure, you know, people were also probably asking really inappropriate questions like, well, you're married now. Are you going to have a baby? And you're undergoing all this horrible stuff in the background, but just pr- trying to probably pass it off as just like oh maybe well that's it
2: I mean I remember going to a hen party and I wasn't drinking and everyone was looking at my stomach and then another time I went to electric picnic and I decided to drive and just because it was at that stage where I wasn't sure what what way it would go and yeah everybody's asking these questions and I even feel like back between 2016 to 2018 you know there was a little less sensitivity towards um female reproduction and what questions are appropriate and what ones aren't and um you know things have changed um
1: in a really positive way since
2: then I found um so
1: like at what point so so when you met that fertility doctor who said maybe you should consider different options like obviously surrogacy is something we hear kind of from american celebrities Mm -hmm. you know like it's kind of something that like they choose to do or same sex couples who want to have a baby and Mm. they use a surrogate but it's not really something that like we're familiar with Mm. it's still something that's i wouldn't say taboo subject but you know it's something that we're not really overly familiar with well that's it and
2: that's what i found it took me actually a few weeks of thinking about the idea of surrogacy to even start looking had any information online about it you know I was horrified to be honest at the beginning of a stranger at the idea of a stranger carrying our child yeah. in a different country I mean I couldn't even fathom how, how that would make us feel and the, the fears and emotions you know surrounding it so um, but what I did have was someone a couple of people I knew who had been through surrogacy um, and who I could talk to and and see how they felt about it so I did that. We we did a bit of research, um, and you know, it took a few weeks. But I remember actually, it was I think it was about February two thousand and eighteen, and we were in a hotel room. We were visiting my brothers in London. We were in this hotel room, and I said, "Right, that's it. We're going to do it." I just something clicked. <laughs> and I just said, "This is it. We're going to start it um, when we get home." So yeah, just started googling. Um, You know, the first thing I did was to contact a lawyer who specializes in surrogacy in Ireland. Mm -hmm. So we had all our sort of medical sides kind of in place where, you know, I felt we had exhausted all options. We had been sort of recommended by this doctor, this fertility expert to go along the surrogacy route. So the next step was to look at our our legal options and which country even would kind of support what we wanted to do. Um, So we were recommended Ukraine through this Z solicitor and she gave us a list of different agencies and clinics that she had found her clients had had success with and who were reliable so mm. really literally I just went home and started googling and I sent out a variety of emails to or sorry sent emails to a variety of clinics got a couple of answers back went with the one that I felt um had I suppose the best, the best English, first of all, yeah. was a, was a That's big important. one. But I looked at the different sort of packages. They're all very similar anyway. Um, and just, you know, spoke again to the lawyer and just kind of went from there. And
1: um, And is it a lawyer is really the only person you can kind of, I suppose, speak to? in Ireland about the process? Because there's no agencies, I suppose, here that you can go through.
2: No, there's no sort of one-stop shop. There's no structured information for surrogacy here. It's just, it was very much just contacting this lawyer and finding out where we stood and what our um, kind of legal rights were. And she just recommended Ukraine because um, it's sort of... uh, been established for um married um couples you know to mm-hmm. pursue international mm-hmm. surrogacy there and she said as well that this was really important to us that our surrogate or whoever you know whoever would end up carrying our baby would be protected legally and medically and that all parties would be protected nobody would be exploited in any way and that is mm-hmm. something i really found positive about um ukraine and the system there is that everyone in our experience anyway, was was very much looked after. And, um, you know, w- we signed the appropriate contracts and um, nobody was in a position where they could be exploited.
0: Well, it would have been so. comforting as well, I think, like from my point of view, um, to have had that expert expertise from an actual lawyer who's able to guide you that way as well. Mm. You know, um, I know you're doing your own research and Googling, but I think it's sort of a, 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 a comfort to know that people in this country had done it before mm. and successfully mm. through these agents or through these um, clinics. Mm. So, you know, that must, she was, you know, she was recommending it for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And she'd had, yeah, she'd had great
2: success mm-hmm. with clients um, yeah. through it. But either way, we needed le- legal representation in mm-hmm. Ireland and we had to hire um, a lawyer in Ukraine as well. So you do, I mean, you can't go on this journey without your legal representation. And it, it does you know i'd say maybe 30 percent of our costs went to yeah the legal say, side I mean, it's, it's pricey, costly and yeah. it's because of the lack of um proper legislation in ireland you know on the ukraine side it is very much legislated and established and you know the process is it's quick we were only it only took about two weeks over there to get everything in place so we wow. can fly home but in ireland it's different it's it's very much a gray area and at the moment we're a group of parents of children born through surrogacy internationally are really pushing for legislation to it's urgent i mean mm-hmm. irish children these are irish citizens yep. who happen to have been born through international surrogacy they need to be protected their rights need to be protected
0: mm. well it's, it's through it's through unequal. you and the and the parents group that has made um surrogacy way more visible yeah in yeah. ireland in the last few years like people know what it is it's 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 the de- um, weirded for want of a Mystified. better word yeah yeah. yeah. Mm. people are, are way more accepting of it and know that it's a valid way for couples who are so desperate for a baby mm. to have it um, so thanks for that it's great mm. I'm sure there are a lot of, of people listening now who are so grateful to you for shining a light on it that way well, I suppose uh, I've had messages from people and they're, you know, they're a group of powerful voices.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, Mark from Westlife yeah. is another one. And Georgie Crawford's been amazing as well. So, it, you know, it's it's voices coming together to to push for this. But, you know, people have sent me message, messages to say, you know, thank you for you and what others are doing because it means that I don't have to explain to my family and friends mm, why exactly. I'm going down the surrogacy route yeah. and what it entails because it has been, uh, in, you know it has come into the mainstream mm-hmm. and as you say, been demystified yeah. to the public. So, um, you no, know, and, uh, and there are valid reasons. You don't choose surrogacy lightly. Of course. Even of course. to get onto the program in Ukraine, you have to, um, you know, you have to have certain reasons. So whether it's like four failed IVF rounds, um, it could be that you've had a hysterectomy or you're a cancer survivor, um, and can't, you know, have a, have a baby kind of the, traditional way so it's you know, not just this kind of
1: misconception of like i just didn't
2: fancy it no, so i'm <laughs> gonna get someone else to do it for you no me. no yeah. um no certainly not with the ukrainian system i mean you have to have you know a doctor's letter to say you cannot carry a baby yourself for okay, whatever reason well. so
0: um yeah sims ivf have a leading team of fertility experts with locations all throughout ireland sims ivf are here for you every step of the way they have tailored treatments to suit your needs so whether you are looking to freeze your eggs, go it alone or need advanced treatment such as pre testing, they have the plan for you. Their mission is to provide hope to all those that need help starting families.
1: But then when you're going through the process of selecting the clinic and everything else, like how much control did you actually have? Were you able to select your surrogate or do you just kind of have to have a bit of blind faith that they are going to employ somebody mm. to do this amazing job for you? Well, so what happened was we were sent the information
2: booklet, pretty much 12 page document for intended parents, Mm -hmm. and they are very careful about uh, medically and understandably so about you um, being medically healthy enough to um, implant your biological material into another human. Mm -hmm. So what followed was 10 months, I'd say, or 11 months even of scans and tests repeated. I mean, before we were even accepted onto the program. Okay. Um, so Whoa. mine, yeah, you don't just get accepted. You have to, I had to do, I mean, everything from, obviously the bloods I'd already done had to be repeated because some of them have a three-month um kind of exploration thing yeah so i had to you know do stds um infectious diseases i had to have ovary scans lung scans for tuberculosis i had to have breast scans you know blood blood tests to make sure i didn't have cancer markers in my blood i mean it was like a full body um
1: check I mean, which was amazing yeah I mean yeah, it was yeah. amazing at the
2: end of it I was like well I'm clear of everything." It's quite nice in, in some way but obviously and not in the context did you have to do it or we just both or just, did okay. whereas it's weren't quite as extensive but obviously yeah. he had the sperms yeah the analysis yeah. we had, obviously did the karyotyping thyroid I remember sending um a blood sample off to Greece for a specific kind of bacterial infection tests that i had to do um i had to drop um blood tests to the virology virology lab at ucd one day because i'm sorry who's coordinating the whole thing were
1: you just coordinating this yourself pretty
2: much between me and my gp so you know, I had a very understanding, very supportive female GP who really, really wanted me. She had been through everything already with yeah. me. She had confirmed the first pregnancy. She had, I'd rang her so many times to tell her about miscarriages and things. So she really was on my side for us having a baby. Um, but, and this is something I spoke about recently at the Women's Health Conference, was that there's no clinic there's no one-stop shop here for parents who want to pursue surrogacy where they can get all their tests done Mm. it's very you know make it very straightforward for them i only i mean we got it done in 10 months because she was brilliant and she was saying well you need to do a private smear send that up north you know you need to bring this here this here everything had to be signed stamped you know emailed over to ukraine Mm. It, it was so extensive i mean nearly twice a week i'd say i was in getting some kind of test it was crazy and then i had to go to um, a consultant hematologist hematologist who specializes in genetic hematology in saint james's to get the, the all clear for my blood coagulation thing so um you know it's difficult it's For anyone in Ireland who wants to pursue surrogacy, I mean, there are a lot of kind of hurdles to to face and you need a lot of support and understanding. So what I would love to see, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, especially if legislation is is established here, is a, a clinic or a way that people can go in, get all the tests done in one go and the scans and, you know, be given the all clear. Because time isn't on everybody's side I mean we were lucky in that respect but nobody wants to be waiting the guts of a year just to be accepted well, onto a program
0: I mean when you go make the decision to do surrogacy you as we were saying before like it's a big decision mm. to make and you've already been on a long journey yeah. you know so this extra time is like it's not a waste obviously but it is if you can narrow it down mm. and less and make it less intense you know yeah How do be every... helpful Woman Woman in in particular has
2: three years exactly, you know, which is what it took for us. It was three
0: years from so from the moment you started from beginning to try.
2: It was about three years to Mm. get onto the program, yeah, and then contracts were signed. Everything was ready to go, and then so sorry, your original question about the surrogate. So once we signed the contracts in November 2018, and they started selecting. A surrogate, so they have a database of women who come to the agency. In our case, our surrogate um, came to the, this particular agency through a recommendation from her friend who had done it and found it a very positive experience. Um, there's certain criteria. I mean, she would had to have um, a baby already born vaginally, no history of miscarriages, no, you know, family history of genetic disorders. Um, obviously, non-smoker healthy lifestyle Mm -hmm. you know this woman anyway ticked ticked the boxes um she was she got all these tests that i had to go through in 10 months done in three weeks i think it was in ukraine because their system is set up for surrogacy and so she had to just show that she was medically healthy enough to carry a child Mm -hmm. so and that was all done. So I remember getting the email uh, in mid-January 2019 to say that the surrogate had been selected and they were happy with her her profile and, um, you know, everything, all the other details and that she would begin just the series of tests and, you know, to start the hormone treatment to kind of build up her, her womb lining as well. Um, so yeah, we traveled over to Kiev in February two thousand and nineteen to begin the armed with my little cold pack of ovary stimulation injections. Oh. Anyone who's been through IVF will know what what that entails. Luckily I didn't mind injections at that stage because I'd had so used to it. Had so yeah. much yeah. and self Second injecting. Nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so went over and just started, um, the process of ovary stimulation. Um, it took about 10 days. We were there a bit longer because you, you have to wait until your period starts to, to begin the process. And my period decided to, to be late that month. Of course, course it's it yeah. yeah. Of course. Yes. Anyway, um, got started and you know, it was great. I was in every day or second day to the clinic. They obviously have to really be careful of, um, ovary hyperstimulation syndrome. Um, but they were really happy with the the quantity of um, mature eggs, you know, went through the process under light anesthetic. I think we got 23 eggs out that day. That's um, high. I aesthetic. think that's a lot. Which was great, yeah. 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 So they were really happy and I thought, okay, one of them has to be yeah. <laughs> decent. Um, so, the, you know, the rest of it, they... You know obviously Wes played his part <laughs> 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 less bit, less better. but yeah everything was fine um I remember just the relief that day waking up from the anesthetic and just thinking okay that's the first physical kind of hurdle out of the way for me it's sort of I've done everything I can do and I was sort of handing over the control now to the agency and to the surrogate because we'd been through this whole process of you know the medical side the legal side the contracts the tests I'd finally done everything I could do now for this And as drowsy as I was, I insisted that we went out to dinner and celebrated that night. So I remember having a glass of champagne in this restaurant and going cheers and being like, oh, I feel a bit bit drugged up from this anesthetic. But just feeling such a sense of relief that we had done everything we could now. Um, So, yeah, just from there, we flew home and our surrogate then um, had her frozen embryo transfer done in the March. So a few weeks later. Um, and then it was the two week wait, which Mm -hmm. anyone trying to have a baby will know it's, it's especially when it's not your body, when you can't, you can't even tell there's no markers or like signs or symptoms. yeah. Yeah. So I remember for those two weeks, just doing what I do when I'm feeling anxious is just making myself as busy as possible. And you know, doing everything I could to just distract myself. And eventually the day came, I think I was just doing something mundane, like getting my hair done in the salon, and this email popped up saying, um, great news, N- uh, Nastia, so her, our surrogate's called Anastasia, but Nastia is her, her nickname. Nastia's is... Um, uh, pregnant and her hcg levels look great it's um really positive mm. and i remember just having to stand outside yeah Aww. like how do you just leap but
0: out of your chair I, yeah i think Aww. i would foil in my hair and <laughs> yeah. i was like
2: just a moment and i just had to go outside and be like oh my god this has happened after oh. everything yeah. we've been through in the last few years um so that was the first and really that year was just a series of little victories so you know um, me getting through the egg um, retrieval process, first pregnancy test. Two weeks later was the um, six, six and a half week um, first scan. Mm. We saw the heartbeat. Oh. And of course, it's just like a tiny little peanut at yeah. that yeah. stage. Yeah. And what was it was coming out of a Pilates class you know these just silly everyday things that you do and I got this email and I obviously couldn't tell anyone and that's sort of the juxtaposition Mm -hmm. in life between what's going on in the background and then just your everyday kind of normal life.
0: To everyone um, else you were just Living your normal, normal life. Yeah, people are yeah, yeah. probably
2: going, Look how selfish she is, just going on holiday. <laughs> lovely childless life. I yeah. yeah, <laughs> look at people now and think, Enjoy your life, yeah. <laughs> enjoy your travel. <laughs> but um, I remember the time I was working uh, with um, a hotel company abroad. So I did have to travel for work, and people were probably going, Oh, look at that selfish so and so you know being able to travel as much as she wants
1: (laughs) without knowing what was going on exactly yeah but Um, how on on, like once you obviously got that amazing email and like a huge sense of relief and that was a mini victory but you know as as the pregnancy was progressing how hard or easy was it for you to kind of just cope with the fact that you it was your baby and you were involved in the process but you were detached from it at Mm. the same time
2: Mm. So we had made the decision to go, obviously with commercial surrogacy, first of all, we felt that was the right fit for us because, well, we didn't know anyone to carry mm-hmm. our, our baby for mm-hmm. us anyway at home. Um, but also to to not meet our surrogate. I mean, we could have had the option maybe to meet her, but um, we felt that we needed to keep that distance just to really protect our emotional health, yeah. I think. And it was the best decision for us. And it just meant then that... Um, Every well, it was every two weeks at the beginning. I received obviously all the medical updates, the scans, the growth charts, and I was really happy with that. Just I lived in these two week intervals where I'd be buzzing for the week after the scan and think everything's great, and then for the second week, I'd start to think, What if something's gone wrong? and I'd not sleep and you know be a bundle of nerves, certainly for the first 12 weeks. Um, but I remember getting the 12 week scan again, I was at a work event in town and with. Uh, town organic and I remember getting this email and saying just excuse me I have to run to the loo and getting this 12-week scan and obviously by 12 weeks there's a baby mm. yeah tiny but there's a proper baby in there and I remember just opening the the attachment in the email and just my hands were shaking I was like oh my god that's her baby and her little spine and her little, little hands gosh. and little legs and so as my first thought was how can something so perfect grow in her and not me like why? Mm. why why is this happening? Why yeah. can't I carry my own baby? And that was obviously a, a sort of an overwhelming emotion, but also just gratitude and happiness that this was happening. And, yeah. you know, by 12 weeks, you start to kind of
0: relax, relax a little, a little bit little. Yeah. and yeah. things
2: get a little bit easier. And yeah. then the scans were every four weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, by about the 16 or 18 week scan, I can't remember which one, we found out that it was a girl. So... Um, we did like a little gender reveal thing with the family and I, I was the only person who knew so I, I got a cake and filled it with pink sprinkles and put <laughs> um you know the top back on the cake and we just you know, we all got together and cut into the cake and mm. had a little reveal mm. so that was lovely and everything was fine up until about August and I started I was always googling pictures every week of like what does a 20 week bump look like what yeah. does a 22 week mm. bump look like Because I was getting more and more curious about what this woman looks like, what her body looks like, you know, what... I started thinking, what's her everyday life like now that she's showing? You know, what does her daughter think of this? Mm -hmm. What does her partner think? Is she feeling kicks? Is is she emotionally attached? Yeah. And you do start to think these thoughts. So I remember in August when she was about 23 weeks um, requesting a picture. I was just like, oh, I'd love to see what the bump looks like. Mm -hmm. So I got a couple of pictures and she... I'd put a lot of thought into the pictures. So she was standing against pink wallpaper in her house and she'd painted her nails pink and she was wearing like a little sports bra top and shorts and just grinning there, holding the baby bump and, you know, just looking really happy and proud. And I remember just bursting into tears and thinking, I can't believe this person is holding, you know, carrying my pregnancy that I should be carrying. And, you know, I found that really difficult to to see the human behind it and um the life she was living and yeah. you know the fact that she was experiencing all of that and I, I do struggle with that sometimes that yeah. you know I look at Sophia and she's obviously biologically mine genetically mine but I just think I was robbed of the, the pregnancy I should have had you know the kicks I should have felt but then again I'm just enormously grateful that it
1: worked and we have her and everything was fine but yeah. um, I suppose it's <coughs> difficult as well in you know. the context of going on and skipping forward a little bit, but you know, you did actually then carry the twins, your yeah. twin boys. So, that was so, a lot of, kicks yeah. in a lot so, of yeah. limbs. So <laughs> you know, like th- so like obviously when you were having Sophia you probably thought you would never carry your own child. No. I'd been um, told it would been be, resigned, be yeah, more or less you know? medically impossible. So yeah. I had made
2: peace with the fact that I was the girl who couldn't have her own baby. I was very happy. I would go to weddings and people would say, do you have any kids? And I'd say, well, no, I actually need medical help to have a child. I can't carry one myself. So that was fine. I was so sick of feeling ashamed of my body and like my body was broken that I just said, I need to own it. I need yeah. to say this is my reality. And that so was that, fine. So there
0: actually came a time when all of the questions you actually answered honestly. I think that's amazing Yeah People need to hear that
2: But you do need to get to that stage Where you accept your life You accept mm. your circumstances yeah. You think there's lots of other positive things In my life happening And wonderful friends and family But this is my reality I can't yeah. have my own baby And I need help So yeah I was very I was fine with that That was who I was That was my worldview of myself In my head I couldn't have a baby And my body wasn't capable of it And that's that So um yeah, when I found out that I was pregnant with the twins mm-hmm. and, you know, it looked very um, much like it was going to be a healthy, normal, full term pregnancy.
1: So sorry to interrupt, but sorry, when you got pregnant with the twins, you weren't technically sorry, what's trying. But you weren't technically trying. Sophia's not you born yet. <laughs> yeah. We'll get we'll back to that in a sec. But you obviously you weren't taking all the drugs you I mean, know you, you weren't actively trying to do all the things that you had been told by professional like fertility experts you have to do yeah. this in order to try and carry around baby so
2: i stopped all the drugs took nothing um yeah what had happened was um i suppose this is an important part of the story so we'll go back to it but in january 2020 i actually new year's day i got a text message from nastia saying um hi happy new year and we would kept in touch we'd met after sophia was born and you know kept in touch through Google Translate because language barrier. And she just said, you know, I've been thinking and I'd really like to give Sophia a sibling. Because we still had we still have um em- frozen embryos over in Ukraine. Mm. So she said that she'd have to wait until July twenty twenty to be medically cleared to um you know after eight months to um get hopefully pregnant again. So I remember relaxing thinking, this is great, this woman, this wonderful woman who has been has been so kind and she made it clear from the beginning that she wanted to give us a child she obviously i mean it's commercial she she benefits as well but but still she she could have got a job you yeah, know yeah, Somewhere yeah. Else yeah. Something selfless she, she in said ways, yeah. to me so many times that i want to be able to give another couple a child yeah. so i just felt you know this wonderful woman is going to complete our family and oh maybe i'll get twins you know yeah. because we were always recommended to implant two embryos yeah. mm-hmm. So that was the plan. So I remember relaxing in early 2020 and just thinking, I can just enjoy a newborn Sophia. She had been born in November 2019. I don't need to even try anymore. We don't, although in the back of my head, I was always like, don't waste an egg. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I you still had your hang ups from like yeah previous trying. You'd yeah. Try, but not try. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Not prevent it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah anyway so it got to end of February and I was on the late late talking about how I couldn't have a baby myself and our experience of surrogacy but unbeknownst to me I was 10 and a half weeks pregnant on that 10 and a half weeks yes and you didn't have any symptoms I did okay (laughs) (laughs) it's just a never-ending story (laughs) um In around mid, early to mid February. So I'd missed a couple of periods, but everything I put down to newborn life. Yeah, of course. I was exhausted
0: for those couple of months in early 2020. Sophia was And they're totally unknown. Yeah, anything can happen at those times. All all brand new. She'd
2: keep me up all night and then sleep in the morning. And we had visitors. So I was putting pressure on myself. And I kept thinking, well, I didn't give birth to her. I'm not recovering. I, I have to keep going. I can't just take this time out I wasn't breastfeeding obviously um, so I put myself under pressure and then your your eating is all over the place like I was eating late night snacks drinking too much coffee mm-hmm. too much sugar all that kind of thing so I just put two missed periods down to just my body being all over the place. And I remember in around mid-February, Wes getting um, an Indian takeaway and my stomach turned. I was like, that's disgusting. How can you eat that? It smelled awful. And other funny symptoms. I was having crazy food cravings. So looking back, it would have been about eight or nine weeks, which is kind of peak craving time. Yeah. Um, I remember going down to Tesco and thinking, oh, I really need Mexican food. And like going home, and making a big bowl of guacamole and chips, and you know, all this stuff. But everything I put down to just exhaustion, exhaustion, yeah, and being all over New the place. Newborn life, newborn, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, the day after the late late, I began bleeding. So I thought oh, that's the long last period. <laughs> Obviously, I was just stressed about being on the late late. Now yeah. I'm relaxed now. Yeah. It's coming. So I didn't think much of it. It was kind of on and off for a couple of days, and then on the Tuesday, say so the late late was Friday. On the Tuesday i was changing sophia and i started getting this intense cramping i mean really intense i had to lean over and say "Wes, can you grab a water bottle for me and you know finish changing her um i sat down on the sofa for a few minutes and when i stood up sorry to be gory and kind no, of graphic no barred no here we, we I <laughs> Laid think fertility bear. chats yeah. everyone yeah. knows how, everything how yeah. human reproduction works yeah. anyway a couple of large clots came out um I was wearing leggings, but um, kind of the size of my fist. I mean, Whoa. <gasps> clots. And mm. I just thought, oh, my God, my period's very heavy. Now uh, This is obviously just a build-up. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. A month. Three months in one. A three-for-one. Oh, for so I ran to the loo, and I was sitting there, and Wes came down after a few minutes, and he, his face just dropped because it was just blood-smeared. Like on the the toilet the the floor, the sink, there was some kind of piece of tissue in the sink. I was like, "Look, this came out, <laughs> and this is very odd, and he was like, rosie this is not normal, something's wrong with you." and I said, like, "No, it's just every heavy period like it's <sighs> just because I haven't had it in a couple of months." and he rings my mom like at this stage, I'm crouched on the floor, like nearly shivering with the pain and um you know bad cramps um." He rings my mom and I hear him say, look, Rosie's in a lot of pain. There's blood everywhere. You need to come over. So my mom, of course, comes straight over. She packs me up, puts on a coat, um, you know, helps clean me up. And she goes, you're going straight into Hollis Street because there's something... Wrong. I mean, she, she recognized there was something, and I was thinking, like, wow. it's just a heavy period. Mm. <laughs> Probably you're delirious. still insisting, yeah? Oh yeah. <laughs> While you're like hemorrhaging on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it brings me straight into the emergency department, and they're great in there. They see you mm. very quickly, and they're really kind, and um, they do some tests. So they did a urine um, pregnancy test, and then took some tissue as well to the lab. And I kept saying, no, I can't. You don't understand. I can't have a baby. I have a newborn through surrogacy. I'm I'm not able to have a baby. This is not a pregnancy. This is just a, a weird period. And the nurse came in and she was very gentle. And she said, No, you were you were pregnant. This is pregnancy tissue. Your your urine test confirmed pregnancy. You were pregnant. I was like, no, this is I was really like kind of getting angry almost. I was like, no, you don't understand. I cannot have a pregnancy. This could not be possible. So she goes, When was your last period? Um so now this is early March. This is about March 6th. And I said, Oh my last period was the 19th of December. And she goes, Okay, You know, calculates it. It was about 10 and a half weeks going on, 11 weeks. And I was like, no, I've never got this far. Like, this is how could this be? And my mom's face was shocked. She was there. And I remembered then just buzzing with excitement, a big smile on my face. And the nurse must have, I remember her gently tap, you know, putting her. Hand on my arm and going you know we've got a counseling service if you need to talk to anyone um, you're probably in shock Mm -hmm. and I was like no I'm fine I just can't believe I've got this far I've I've got a little three-month-old to go home to I'll be absolutely Mm -hmm. fine and separately that night she and another doctor said you know just be careful if you don't want another pregnancy after this because you'll be quite fertile um, after a miscarriage at this stage with Mm -hmm. kind of various Mm -hmm. hormones in your system so I remember thinking what if we're not careful what if this does work and um, so that was the first kind of inkling or first glimmer of hope I felt that so that was actually a miscarriage
0: that you were having this was a miscarriage okay yeah um but because it had been almost 12 weeks you were just like oh my god like something's this- changed yeah
2: something had changed in my body and I didn't know what it was whether it was just being more chilled out with a newborn or yeah. because I would completely taken my head out of trying to have mm-hmm. a baby. And I know it's pointless to say to women or or couples, you know, just relax and yeah. take your mind off, and yeah. it'll happen. But mm, perhaps in this case, that is what happened.
0: I mean, you um, you had a baby. That's you know, that's the thing. You your dream had come true. And, yeah. Um. So this is I can only imagine. I'm actually like buzzing for you. The story is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm was like you know, <laughs>
2: it wild. was it was mad. And then we went into lockdown. So a week later, you know, um, Leo Radcar came on the news and. Covid hit, and in that two weeks, you know, obviously we were looking on in horror at what was happening in the world in northern Italy and China, and the anxiety of it all, this new disease. But at home, like lots of people, I think we just settled into this cosy little routine, and I thought, this grace don't have to. B- worry about what to wear to work or worry about how i'm going to juggle sophia with um working and my mom was helping we didn't have childcare so we just kind of relaxed and whatever magic happened in my body um within 2 weeks we conceived the twins and again it was a case of i was like maybe we shouldn't be careful because maybe this will happen and it'll actually work this time so i think the miscarriage was a little you know i think actually the stars aligned in in some way, maybe to use that expression. You know, we we'd taken our minds off um trying to have a baby. We I'd had this miscarriage which maybe did something to my fertility. And then um we went into lockdown and my routine just sort of relaxed. Um so yeah, by end of March twenty twenty, um yeah, the the twins were conceived and again, whatever magic happened there, the the fertilised egg split and caused identical twins Cause,
1: like the statistics for all of this are like you know,
2: know what like one in a million
0: basically <laughs> it's mad
2: I mean yeah it's I can't even get my head around it either still um twins are somewhere in my family but um fraternal twins you know non-identical twins and um, so yeah it was I remember then just taking the pregnancy test um it began to feel I mean that the symptoms you get an early pregnancy with twins are quite extreme. So I remember being, God, I'm very tired. And I had an inkling I was pregnant, took a test around the 19th of April. And I remember me and Wes looking at each other and going, God, not this again. What have we done? You know, we're going to have to go through another miscarriage in lockdown without family support. Everyone was obviously taking it all very seriously and not going anywhere. So even to go into hospital was outside my 5k limit. And that felt strange. Um, but actually, yeah, what happened next was was is worthy of mention because it was quite um, unusual as well. So I went, I contacted one of the the doctors I'd seen um, previously, kind of at the very beginning, and just said, look, I've I had a, a very painful kind of unexpected miscarriage last month. This is only like five or six weeks later. Last month in Hollow Street, and um, I'm now pregnant again. What do you recommend? And he goes, look, come in next week and I'll, I'll have a look so came in next week um I, my dates were all wrong because of the miscarriage so you, your body goes a bit askew um and i'd obviously ovulated later on than i thought so i said i'm um, about seven weeks so he did a scan and he saw an empty sack mm. and he said look this sack is empty i'm really sorry it looks like a an a embryonic pregnancy um but it's in a, a great position so it does happen the odd time that women get their dates wrong um, so maybe come in to me next week. So I went home pretty sad thinking I'm going to have another miscarriage over the weekend and it's not going to be fun because it's, you know, sure. later. Um, so all weekend I was there waiting for hormones to drop and symptoms to disappear. And instead on the Monday morning, I woke up feeling quite queasy and quite kind of you know lightheaded as you do so I went into him again on the Tuesday and he did another scan and for the first time in our whole sort of fertility journey he detected a heartbeat in the scan and I have it all recorded Well, obviously because of COVID restrictions couldn't come in and it's just me going oh my god oh my god oh my god burst into tears like I was like I've never seen a heartbeat this is amazing so um he he said I was probably about six and a half weeks um, at that stage so I had got my dates wrong um, so he said just come back next week we'll just he was very sure to keep an eye on me because of my history yeah. um, so went in again the next week and <laughs> he actually put up the video of this on Instagram recently because um, it was kind of the, the anniversary of it um, but he I think it's called the trans, transducer he switched it over my stomach and he said um, I'm just going to have a closer look so I said it's it's two and there isn't because we'd both seen two you know, curled up shapes, and he had a closer look. He brought in a nurse as well, and he said, "Yeah, it's twins." Aww. And you just hear me going, "Holy shit!" So <laughs> I think my language got worse after that. So I didn't post the whole video, but um, yeah, we could see two little, I suppose, developing babies in there with heartbeats, and I was only what seven and a half weeks at this stage. So, but they always say it's a positive
1: sign to see heartbeat beats from kind of seven weeks um
2: and everything was normal heartbeats were normal um
1: and as the pregnancy progressed everything kind of was going to plan or did you always have this kind of lingering fear it's going to end now
2: as it progressed yeah you do have a fear and I, I actually had a scare at about 11 weeks exactly the same stage actually as I lost the previous pregnancy um we were sitting on the sofa one night got up to go to bed had a sudden heavy enough bleed and, of course, panicked and um, went in again to Hollis Street. And I said, look, I can't believe this. I'm I'm pregnant with twins. And this is exact same stage as I lost the last pregnancy Um, but got scanned and the, the boys are fine. You could see them dancing around Aww. in there um, and the nurse just said it's probably just um a broken blood vessel from sudden growth spurt Ooh. Um, she just said it happens with twin pregnancies because of, there's a lot more blood flow, a lot more growth going oh on more rapidly. Mm. That's what, what happened, um, yeah, and then everything was just progressing normally. I couldn't I started to relax to be honest. I was a lot more relaxed than I was with Sophia's pregnancy because I had no control over sure. any of that. yeah at least I could control what I was doing, what I was eating, wh- where mm, you know mm. every aspect
0: of <laughs>
2: my existence yeah. for, for that time.
0: but at the same time, you had baby yeah <laughs> that's the other that is actually that's the crazy yeah. part to me yeah. because i'm like we how were are you
1: managing a pregnancy of twins and we a were in lockdown so there was no
2: help no support yeah. we yeah. child care parents just wes was home from work which was the kind of <laughs> the thing that saved me yeah. i suppose and i was able to just um settle down i had naps with sophia every day and oh. you know he just helped and she was a great baby she really she slept and everything she was fine so um yeah just it just progressed but I suppose my resounding one of my resounding memories of um the pregnancy was trying to um so redefine everything I thought about how my body worked and what it was capable of doing so I had to um kind of establish my sense of myself again because I was the girl who was very happy to say I couldn't have a baby Mm -hmm. and here I was pregnant with two healthy babies. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt this, and I've spoken about this before this really, um, strong sense of survivor's guilt because I had gone on national TV earlier that year, you know, talking about how I couldn't have a baby and we had to resort to surrogacy and, you know, I was happy being sort of a, a public voice for, for couples and for women who were struggling with fertility and miscarriage and, um, suddenly I was here carrying two healthy babies. So I I just felt guilty that I was that person when I'd would i been in contact with so many women who were struggling so much and, and couldn't have a baby themselves. So that was a bizarre, almost unexpected emotion. And it took me a long time to even tell anyone about our pregnancy. I think I was halfway through by the time I even told friends and then announced it. I couldn't but hide, I, hide it anymore. I
0: remember when you announced it publicly and by then the whole country had known that you'd had Sophia through surrogacy and also your entire fertility story that Mm. you know because you're so open with it but I remember my sister in law um, texting me being like, Oh my god, is pregnant and it's twins and I was just like wow and we were so happy for you. Mm, like the yeah. whole there was so country much was happy for kindness. you. My WhatsApp group was just like, Oh wow you know, we everyone was delighted. Yeah. So I mean, just, obviously so you divorce. feel that survivor's guilt, but like do you know that The whole country was behind you, you know, everyone is so happy for you. But then that brings its own set of pressures.
1: Do you know what I mean? Because you're basically, you've been so open and honest and obviously people have got great comfort from that and support from it. Mm. But then at the same time, like there's a tiny bit of a sense of ownership and you're nearly kind of like responsible for kind of telling everyone what's going on like i'm sure there's points where you're like i don't want to tell people things or i just want to keep this to myself you kind or, of
2: you know. feel like kept
0: updates, update yeah. and, and that kind of thing um but you do keep your kids um private like you don't show their faces on social we media do, and
2: that was something we decided actually before sophia was born we just i mean some days i'm like they're so cute yeah <laughs> and sophia's the image of me she's got Is brown she? eyes and then the boys are like little mini versions of wes oh. I mean, identical to him Um, so there are some days I'm like, well, they're so cute, but I sort of get that feeling of having to share them just out in my family WhatsApp group or friends Mm -hmm. because we just feel that, um, and you know, it's not everyone will agree or feel the same, but we just feel that we want them to be able to decide maybe at some point when they're older and can understand the implications of being on the internet Mm -hmm. and just, you know, decide if, if it's for them or if it's what... You know if they want to be on the internet it's kind of yeah. they're protecting their digital footprint i suppose until yes. they're old yeah. enough to yeah. decide but also i've you know heard horror stories of things that go on in the dark net and oh pictures being oh, no. gathered and oh. i just don't ever to put their safety at risk and yeah. i just feel a responsibility obviously as their mother to protect yeah. them and um keep them safe and part of that is not allowing them to be recognizable to strangers yeah so i think that's fair enough it's just my overwhelming
1: feeling mm. even though some mm. days you know I would like to, but
0: um,
1: so kind of jumping feel. <laughs> jumping back again. Yeah. Um, so now we've obviously you're, you're pregnant with the twins. However, we're going to go backwards. Um, <laughs> you were obviously called back to Ukraine when Sophia was due to be born, mm. um, and sh- she was delivered healthily, and everything went to plan. Mm. Um, then at that point, you then had to bring your newborn baby back to Ireland. And, you know, as you've spoken about, there's not the structural legislation mm. um, or governance here in place. So was that very difficult to, 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 to kind of then have to try and think about, okay, there's all these legal implications mm. now when I bring my baby home. Like, is that something for all parents who are going through surrogacy, that there's just all these now, a separate set of hurdles. Mm. So you've got the baby, mm. But you've got all these different things that you have to kind of battle.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were we were told about the the legality or the the legal side for parents with children born internationally through surrogacy before we embarked on the journey. But yeah. at the time, we just thought we'll deal with it later. Mm-hmm. We just want a healthy baby to bring home. And that's, I think, what the majority of, of parents feel. You know, that's that's all they want. And you just hope that things will work out in your favor. Um, so, I mean, uh, the best advice I can recommend for anyone thinking of surrogacy is just to hire a, a lawyer mm-hmm. or a solicitor experienced in international surrogacy. Um, we worked with Annette Hickey, who is fantastic, and she just has dedicated her her time, really her, her career, to um, helping parents to um, have children through surrogacy, and she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. She just knows the area inside and out. Um, so, yeah, it was just a matter of... Um we worked with a lawyer over in Ukraine just to get the paperwork in place mm-hmm. and then brought Sophia over and, um, you know, it all worked out. We went through the courts and, um, uh, you know, got everything done actually just before lockdown. I think it was early March. It's probably the same week as the miscarriage, ironically enough. But um, anyway, I think you, you just dust yourself off yeah. and move on sometimes, yeah. even though I was I'm pretty shocked by the, the whole incident um, but yeah the legal side we we looked after and we were advised in the best possible way we could and yeah. again that's where just an, an experienced lawyer mm-hmm. comes in mm-hmm.
1: and for parents now you like you and Wes included what is the current state of play like are you Because I know you're really outspoken about this and rightly so what what do you want to happen for parents well of for children born through surrogacy
2: Well our daughter Sophia is uh, an Irish citizen. Um, She obviously was born through international surrogacy so we have joined um, really forces with particularly a group of parents called um, Irish Families Through Surrogacy. They've quite a um, active profile on Instagram but other people like Mark from Westlife and Georgie Crawford as I mentioned have been amazing in uh, in trying to push this but there are hundreds of voices across Ireland of parents who are trying to push for legislation to be made to be able to protect their children at the moment it's a total grey area there is no legislation in place and it just affects children like Sophia um, in ways like um, medical consent forms, I'm unable to kind of sign medical consent forms um, I can apply I could have applied to be her guardian when she turned two but that I actually didn't because I'm hoping that um the legislation is, is drawn up at some stage soon um, but it means that the guardianship is over when she turns 18 and I have no legal relationship with her and then my family like her grandparents my parents have no legal relationship with her and my brothers her uncles I mean who they're her family, you know. They're her genetic family. Um, things like I don't know, inheritance tax is another example of what how they're affected. Um, okay, you know, yeah. she would so be unequal important. to her brothers, and then the emotional implications, the stress of her growing up knowing that she's unequal to her brothers mm. just because they happen to be born, you know, from me and, yeah, yeah. and not someone else. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's 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 about protecting legally protecting the rights of an Irish citizen. And really, it seems very
1: straightforward.
2: It but seems I mean, so yeah. straightforward
1: and it seems archaic that there, yeah. there's a lack of recognition, but also just kind of like, let's
0: just put it to the side. Yeah, exactly. There's a lack problem. of urgency when yeah, it's when really it an needed. Urgent yeah, yeah.
2: I don't want to have to explain to her someday that she's not my daughter mm. legally, um, even though she calls me mummy and yeah. I'm yeah. the only mother she's ever known. Yeah. And, you know, she's my biological child, but you know, i don't want to have to have that conversation mm. like we need this in place for mm. these children who are growing up and you know wes who is obviously her, her legal father and her her biological father but he was able to to prove like every every other father of a child um, born through surrogacy he was able to show that he mm. is her genetic father so is this you know uh, an, an issue that we have to look at um between kind of men and women is it like
1: mm. yeah you know it does it just kind of seems to be like another piece of the um you know anti-women puzzle not yeah. anti-women but you know what i mean it's I like know, a, a historic, I think of the word historically in God. ireland yes sure. or, yeah. like it's i just think historically in ireland like women's health has always been mm. put last yeah. um there's always been this kind of like lack of wanting to take ownership or recognize that like some things aren't straightforward mm. and you know people have to explore other avenues or like even kind of like there's like some kind of people would think that IVF is wrong because it's not natural you know like yeah, it's, it's nearly yeah. that old
0: fashioned mm. mentality when and ireland maybe. has like has we've proven through like recent um referendums that mm. ireland has be- you know is progressive it's mm. it's becoming a much more open country but mm. then you know dragging feet with these kind of issues is just putting a back again
2: like a fear of wanting to, to discuss women's reproductive systems yeah and you yeah. know all it entails when you know they're the basis for life exactly <laughs> so it's, yeah it's, it's such an important issue
1: um i suppose one of my other kind of final questions is how are you going to broach the subject with um sophia have you decided if you're going to tell her about it when she's older um
2: i will absolutely um i think in a really nice part maybe ending to this story Mm -hmm. if you can call it that is that our our surrogate um nastia is over here in ireland now for the last month and a half or so Mm. and with her own family um when the war began i reached out to her and said you know come to ireland we'll give you a home and we'll look after you you know they've just got a job the little girl is in montessori um so sophia now has got to know um The woman who carried her and gave birth to her Mm. and it was bizarre the first time they they met um well obviously she'd seen her just after she gave birth to her but um (laughs) first time they met when sophia um was able to say hello Mm -hmm. kind of thing but it was surreal seeing them in the same room and i just thought sophia has no idea that this Mm. woman gave birth to her and sophia's been playing obviously with her daughter a lot and um getting to know her and when I had to tell our surrogate, Nastia, that, um, you know, I was pregnant with the twins and we we didn't need to go down the mm. surrogacy route again, mm. I thought, you know, maybe I'll stay in touch with her, but it's unlikely we'd actually ever see her again. Yeah. So, yeah. again, it's extraordinary how circumstances have changed mm. and she's come to live in Ireland and got to know Sophia and we've been mm. obviously seeing them all the time. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a story that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs>
0: SIMS IVF have a leading team of fertility experts. With locations all throughout Ireland, SIMS IVF are here for you every step of the way. They have tailored treatments to suit your needs, so whether you are looking to freeze your eggs, go it alone, or need advanced treatment such as pre-genetic testing, they have the plan for you. Their mission is to provide hope to all those that need help starting families.